0: Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church, as always. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, that's in the New Testament. A couple announcements, um, a couple more announcements here for you. Um, This is family-only information. We're under contract. So this is just for our uh, church family. And the reason why I have to say that is we don't want to disrupt the current tenet relationship that we have in our place where we're leasing. But uh, as of this week, this last week, we have signed all the documents to purchase, loan for the loan documents, and also the architect. So praise God. For the, for the facility over there, we have opportunity to build that out to about a 400-seat capacity uh, auditorium and it's a smoking deal it's uh, one of those deals that everybody on the board of elders said wow this is too good to be true so we're heading in that uh, path Uh, we're in the process right now the period of due diligence so pray all goes well God is glorified and this may be a bit too ambitious but we're looking at trying to move in there by uh, Easter of 2013 That would be this next year, so that's where we're headed. Thank you for your patience and also your continued support. Uh, We'll talk more about it here in another month or so about Dare You to Move and various things like that. So things are looking good. We're headed in that direction. Uh, So we just wanted to keep you up to where we're headed, what we're doing, what God is doing. Hey, another uh, fun announcement is that Nancy and I are now headed towards having a half dozen Davis grandsons. Isn't that crazy? No girls. We, it's, it's not that we don't like girls. It's just it seems like that's God just wants to give us boys right now. So we'll see. But uh, I think it was Irma Bombeck that said grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your children. <laughs> so we didn't kill our children and now we got grandchildren. Praise God for that. Good to have you with us. We got a great study here. We've been uh, working through this gospel in life, Grace Changes Everything. This is part six. We're going to talk about work cultivating the garden. You've heard me say this. Let me say it again. If the gospel isn't the most amazing message you've ever heard, then you haven't heard it. I mean, it's it's stunningly, breathtakingly beautiful. It will captivate your heart. It will ravish your heart. And what happens is that as it changes your heart, then it moves you into community, kind of takes you into community, and then from there it sends you out into the world. So let me bring up to speed kind of where we've been in this uh, teaching series thus far. The first week of it, we talked about community, the context of change. Darren taught that one. And then the week after that, I talked about a city, the world that is. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11? Remember, that's one of those verses. These people were in exile, that is the nation of Israel. They were living in a very hostile environment there in Babylon, and because they had been chased out of the promised land, so their dreams had been kind of dashed to the ground. And so they're kind of crying out to God, and God says, uh, seek the flourishing, the complete, total flourishing of the city, because in that you'll find your flourishing, your peace. And that's where we get the verse... I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's in the context of exile. That's in the context of where we live currently. If we will seek the well-being of the city as what we're wanting to do as we relocate into our new facility, as we've always done here at Desert Breeze, God brings blessing, and we've seen plenty of His blessing. And that was the second week. And the third week, we talked about heart. Our heart, and there are three ways to live We said that there are two ways to miss God. One is to be irreligious, break all the rules. The other one is to be religious by keeping all the rules. You can keep all the rules and still miss Jesus and all of that. And and the third way to live is the gospel. And the gospel is uh, by grace. It's amazing. It's stunning. And so you've got to make that distinction. We talked about that. And then my favorite topic we talked about after that was idolatry. Yes, the sin beneath the sin we learned that all of our sins are really rooted in our idolatry. And then uh, last weekend, Darren covered Witness, an alternate city, and he said this statement, remember, live a life worth questioning, give answers worth hearing. And so we're going to continue to kind of talk about that in the context of work, work cultivating the garden. Now, I came across... Uh, It was a number of years ago when I found this, the lost Dr. Seuss book. You didn't know there was a lost Dr. Seuss book, but here it is. I love my job. Let me read to you a portion of it. I love my job. I love my job. I love the pay. I love it more and more each day. I love my boss. He is the best. I love his boss and all the rest. I love my office and its location. I hate to have to go on vacation. I love my furniture drab and gray and the paper that piles up every day. I love my chair in my padded cell. There's nothing else I love so well. I love to work among my peers. I love their leers and jeers and sneers. I love my computer and its software. I hug it often though it don't care. I love each program and every file. I try to understand once in a while. I'm happy to be here, I am, I am, I'm the happiest slave of my Uncle Sam. I love this work, I love these chores, I love the meetings with deadly bores. I love my job, I'll say it again, I even love these friendly men, these men who've come to visit today in lovely white coats to take me away. Now. You don't have to be insane to love your job. Let's just do a quick survey here and we'll give you three options. You love your job or the next option would be you like your job. You don't love it, but it's okay. You like it. And then the third one, we're going to be nice here, that you dislike. We won't say hate. We'll just say you dislike your job. So show of hands, how many love their job? Love their job. Okay, I'm right there with you. I absolutely love my job. Okay, look around, see the hands. Okay. Okay, how many dislike their job? Show of hands, show of hands. Dislike, okay. Dislike their job. How many, actually I I meant to say like, didn't I? So let me go back to like. So we got love and then like. How many like their job? Okay, so there's a few more. So those that dislike, one more time. Show your hands. Okay. Okay. A few more dislike their job in this service. There's only just a few uh, uh, in the first service. So it's really quite interesting. But how many, uh, another show of hands here. How many that if, uh, if you were independently wealthy would quit your job right now? Show of hands. Some of you raised both hands, okay. So it's not, you don't like or love your job necessarily for the sake of the work. It's just that if you, could, if you had the money, you would exit. Okay, so, so kind of get you to thinking a little bit. So I hope that in this study today, we move you from dislike to like and maybe from like to love. Okay, so we'll see if we can kind of do that. Uh, Here's what's interesting. When we look at the the job landscape, so to speak, the work landscape of our society, we tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. It's just kind of what we've got going on here in our culture today. Until, Until we encounter Christ, and then we realize all of life is worship, and that includes our work and our play. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that Jesus came to give us what? Fullness of life, and that includes our work. So He wants us to live full, meaningful life, and that would also involve work. And that's really important, because we're going to spend one third of our life at work. That's a lot of our life. And so let me give you you'll notice on your notes I gave you kind of this panoramic view, this meta-narrative. So oftentimes people will say, "Well, what's the Bible all about? Here's how, what the Bible is about. If, 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 easy answer. The Bible's not about the good guys and bad guys. So, make sure you're a good guy and not a bad guy. It's not moralism. It's not trying to pick the team whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. It's actually about all of us being bad guys, and there's only one good guy, and his name is Jesus. And he came to this earth on a rescue mission to rescue all of us bad guys. Okay? That's basically what the Bible's about. And so it starts like this it starts with creation. You were created by God for God to have a relationship with God, to give glory to God. And then, and then out of that creation, But man did what? Man rejected that, and then we've got, so first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, we've got creation, and then chapter 3, we've got fall, crash and burn. That's why we've got the suffering and pain on this planet Earth currently. People want to know, why is this so much suffering? Man's rejection and rebellion against God. But God cannot bear the thought of us being separated from Him and and the pain that we suffer, so guess what He did? Immediately, through a group of people called the Israelites, He began to raise up a group of people that through their lineage, He would send His Son, and His Son would come. So you got creation, fall, redemption. He came to redeem us, to rescue us. And then when He does that, we become redeemers of life, so to speak. We help to point people to Jesus in all of our lives. So He goes creation, fall, redemption, and then the second coming, restoration. The heavens and the earth. So in the meantime, we're living between the redemption and restoration. Do you agree with me? And so... We're here by divine design to bring the kingdom of God into people's lives initially and then ultimately when he comes with the second coming uh, to, to set up his kingdom on this planet earth forever and ever. That's the, kind of the meta-narrative of the whole of Scripture. And so the Bible gives the, us titles like witness. We are to be a witness for God, co-worker with God, ministry of reconciliation to God. And so we are here to do that, and that's what we're going to talk about as it relates to our work. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. We'll pray, then we'll look at our text. There's only a couple verses, but I'll give you plenty of cross-references. And so let's pray, and then we're going to dive into our text. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We love you because you first loved us. And through the sacrificial love of your Son, our Savior, on the cross, you have secured for us the unspeakable and glorious joy of your presence in our lives forever, never to leave us or forsake us. And with that promise, you send us into the world to help others to see you more clearly and to savor you more completely. So God, we pray through the study of your word, convict us, change us, Compel us to show you more contagiously through our lives where we work, where we live, where we play. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Let's take a look at this text. Let's read this text together and aloud. There's only two verses, so nice and loud. You guys ready? Here we go, one, two, three. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Okay, two verses, easy text. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Uh, I, I was introduced to a guy yesterday that he was wearing this work shirt. Not this work shirt, but a work shirt. And, you know, typically they got the name of the business and whatever, and then on the, over here where his name, typically they put their name, it said, Work Sucks. And uh, so we had a little interesting conversation, because I said, hey, we're going to talk about work, not sucking. But, uh, but work doesn't have to suck if, if you have a biblical uh, view of work. That's where we're headed. So what is the biblical view of of work. When you begin to understand the gospel, as the gospel begins to more and more take hold of your heart, then work doesn't have to be a four-letter word, okay? That's where we're headed. So what is the biblical view of work? We're basing it on this text. Here's your first point on your notes. Every part of our lives is to be lived for the glory of God. Well, you hear that every week, but we'll just say it as it relates to work. Verse 23 of our text, he says, whatever you do. Now, if you still have your Bibles open, you'll notice the context of Colossians, a few verses up. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, so your life is saturated with the word of God. Then he says in verse 17, and whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. So he's saying that, and then, he, then he's, he's almost like he's saying this as it relates to our work. So everything we do are to, is to be lived in the name of Jesus according to his character for his glory and then more specifically in every aspect of our our lives marriage parenting employment kinda works through there and that's where we've got verses 23 and 24 first Corinthians 10 31 one of the cross references there it says whether you eat or drink whatever you do do all to the glory of God Philippians 4 4 says rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice now What does it mean to live for God's glory? Because that's why you're here on this planet Earth, so it's pretty important that you understand that. What does that mean? The word glory means weight, significance, and importance. So you live your life in such a way that people would look and say, wow, I see the weight, the significance, the importance of God in that person's life. In fact, you hear us say it a lot, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied, when we are most satisfied in Him. So that would be the best way to uh, bring glory to God. And here's what's fascinating about this, is that the glory of God and your deepest, most durable satisfaction are one and the same pursuit, not dependent upon the people, things, and circumstances of your life. When I first uh, became a uh, an apprentice pipe fitter went to the local union 469 local union trades trades union and uh, I was an apprentice uh, working at St. Joseph's Hospital and uh, one of the guys that I was he was the uh, journeyman pipe fitter that I was working with I would come in I was pretty excited about the job I was relatively newly married only been married for uh, about a year and a half two years and, uh, and I would come in and say hey good morning and he'd go what's so good about this morning you little Expletive, you know, and he would use some pretty harsh language, and it's like, you know, initially, I, you know, I was pretty offended, and it was just really harsh environment. But it was kind of my first experience in this harsh world to deal with any codependency issues that I have or people pleasing, and I had to deal with the fact that am I going to let this guy affect the kind of day I'm going to have? And how he is. And certainly there's certain certain situations. I was an apprentice, so there wasn't much I could do about it. If I wanted to continue to work through my apprenticeship, and it was just part of what they do, they pick on the apprentices. It was kind of a harsh environment anyway. But what I had to learn was, wait a minute, I can still live for God's glory, regardless of how this guy might respond to me. And 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 you can too, regardless of how difficult it might be, regardless of the people, things, and circumstances. Now Always keep in mind, it's never loving to allow someone to sin against you, so you, certainly there are appropriate times to have boundaries. But regardless of what goes down, you can always live for God's glory, and that is where you'll always find your deepest satisfaction. Regardless of the people, things, and circumstances, even in a, in a terrible, difficult job, and I've had a few, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. <clears throat> but one of the stories that I like that gives a, a good example of that is this, it's, it's a book, it's one of my favorite books, and I'll pick it up from time to time and read it, but it's... Uh, the guy's name is, they just call him Brother Lawrence, and it's the book called Practicing the Presence of God. He was a 17th century monk who found incredible delight in the discipline of practicing the presence of God in the most menial, mundane, and even kind of menacing circumstances. He was, he was a dishwasher and pots and pans washer uh, in a monastery. And this is what he says in the book. We should practice God's presence through a continuing conversation with him that it would be shameful to trade such a relationship for trivial foolishness and that we should feed our souls on the highest thoughts of God. We can find deep joy, he said, by simply being with the Lord. The greatest pains and joys the world has to offer can't compare to the experience of walking with God. For Brother Lawrence, and this is a part of it too, for for Brother Lawrence, work time was no different from prayer time. Even the noise and clatter of the kitchen with different people calling for different things all at once, uh, he said, I still know God's presence with just as much real peace as if I were on my knees at communion. Pretty profound. Here's what he's saying. Even the worst job in the world can be sweet if you know who it is that walks with you throughout your day and in your work. So it's living for God's glory. Here's the next one on your notes. Uh, number two, work, work is a blessing, not a curse, though sin often can make it difficult. So work is a blessing, not a curse, though sin can make it often difficult. Look at verse 23 of our text. He says, work heartily. So whatever you do, work heartedly. The word heartedly means breath, life, vitality, and energy. So work with breath, life, vitality, and energy. Now, some of you are saying, wait, 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 time out, Pastor Ray. You tell me it's a blessing? I thought that work was a curse. How many thought work was a curse? Okay. Actually, uh, what it says, when when you study the Scripture, we were actually given work before the fall, so it's, it's not a curse, certainly work can be it, it is cursed but it's not a curse it's not part of the curse And in fact uh, what it tells us in Genesis and I'll make reference back to Genesis chapter 2, but before the fall, Adam and Eve, before chapter three, the fall, Adam and Eve were to tend the garden serving in pleasure. that's Genesis 2:15 but after the fall, Genesis 3:17, they were to toil. They were going to toil in the garden, which is sweating and pressure. But remember, Jesus was sent to do what? To reverse the curse. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So Jesus came to reverse even the most pathetic circumstances. He came to reverse the curse so that we can find And live life to its fullest, regardless of what's going on within us, because He's in our life. Check this uh, video out. Uh, It's uh, Bad Day at Work. Maybe you've had a, a number of these. Bad Day at Work. Check it out. i Looks like we could use a little anger management uh. so I'm curious how many could, can relate to that show of hands <laughs> yeah we've all felt like that but here's, here's what we're learning work is a blessing not a curse though sin often can make it difficult Okay, number three you cannot have a meaningful life without work but don't make your work the meaning of your life it's idolatry Verse 23, our text, it says, As for the Lord, as for the Lord. So he's saying, whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord. So the point of it is you're doing this for the Lord and not for men. So it's not for the temporal. You're living in a totally different realm from everybody else. You're living in a spiritual realm, so you're doing it, you're doing it for the Lord. I, had somebody, uh, I heard somebody here recently say, Well, God made me a mother, and I'm really good at it. You know with with babies well that's cool i don't think that's really what your identity is. Your identity is that you're a child of God, and at some point you' you're, you're going to probably quit having kids okay hopefully and uh and then you'll take care of those kids, and eventually those kids will be grown and gone, and that's what you're wanting to do and you're hoping for eventually and uh and so eventually your your identity if it's wrapped up in being a mom uh and things don't go very well or you can't have kids uh it's going to hurt you. It's going to devastate you. Or, if you're, or however your kids might turn out, you're going to be devastated by that. That's called idolatry. It's a good thing that's become an ultimate thing in your life. But what we have to do is our, our identities in Christ regardless of whatever God has called us to do in the meantime. And, uh, and, and there's more to life than work. The fact that God himself rested after work, Genesis 2-2, proves that work is not everything, it's not all there is and then when you study through Genesis 2 so you got creation you got Genesis 2 where it really focuses in on man and and really what we were created for Genesis 2 we were created for resting living enjoying working obeying creating relating so it's more than just work and don't get your identity from your work okay it's not meant to be your identity your identity is to be in Christ and then here's your next point Um, All work is dignified by God and a calling from God. Back to our text. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. The word inheritance means most treasured possession. So inheritance as your reward. So this is what I want you to do. Turn to the folks sitting around you real quick and answer these two questions. What's the worst job you've ever had? What's the best job you've ever had? Worst job, best job. Go ahead and share that with the folks sitting around you real quick. Okay, have you had some pretty bad jobs out there? Pretty bad jobs, worst jobs, bad jobs? Uh, This is my best job right now, what I do now, but uh, I've had a few worse jobs. When I was working construction, I worked at the uh, Lower Buckeye Road Sewer Treatment Plant. And we were not putting in new piping, but we were putting and taking out existing piping, and you know what goes in those pipes, you know? Sewer treatment, pretty bad and uh, it was stinky and it smelled. and uh, actually I would come home in my car, you know how it smells when you drive by the sewer treatment, how many of you have ever driven by the sewer treatment plant? What a wonderful smell that is. And they try to deal with it but they can't get rid of it. It's been a while since I've been out there but man it was just that rotten egg smell and I would actually come home and the car would smell like that and my body and my clothes would smell like that so Nancy made me sleep with the dog for a few months while I was working out there. And, uh, but it was, it was pretty harsh. The guy that I was working with actually uh, got hepatitis from working out there. So you had to be extremely careful. But still, in the midst of that very adverse circumstance, I had an opportunity to make an impact in this guy's life and the people that I, were, I was working around. And I've had a few other bad jobs. One was uh, digging ditches in the middle of the summer here in the heat uh, as a young man for a sprinkler company. And, uh, and there's some, some terrible jobs, too, when I was on the fire department. A few of the calls as a medic that you have to go on and just really bad but but in in the midst of that uh, God can still work all work is dignified by God and a calling from God let me ask you this question Um, is it more spiritual in God honoring to be a preacher than to be a farmer artist banker or stay-at-home mom is it what do you guys think out loud no actually you're wrong it is actually more spiritual to be what I'm doing right now I am so much more spiritual than you guys. Yeah, that, when I was a paramedic and when I was a pipe fitter welder, that's second rate. I mean, it's way down here. I'm right now. Nah, you guys know better than that. You guys all laughed. Did you know that when you make a commitment to Jesus Christ, you're called into ministry at that moment? That all of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? So whether you are a pipe fitter, welder, paramedic, firefighter, or a pastor, you're to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in in wherever God may send you or take you. Now this is what's interesting. Genesis chapter two verse two, you see that God finishes his work. So we see that God works. Genesis two seven, we see that God formed man from the dust of the ground. And then in Genesis two fourteen, God is planting a garden. So what do we have here? This is a God with dirt under his fingernails. Mark 6, 3 tells us that our Savior was, what, for most of his life? A carpenter. I mean, the last three years w- that we would classify as ministry, but all of that up to that point was still ministry. He was a carpenter. See, here's the point. Our society more and more disdains manual labor. We think that all oh, those are subpar jobs, and yet the Bible says, no, 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 all work is dignified by God and a calling from God and uh, in fact it even says uh, in Second Thessalonians three ten. 10 back so much for socialism uh, it says if you don't work you don't eat and uh, he basically says he's talking about when you when you help people don't enable them and if they can work, they need to work. But if they can't, of course, you know, you want to help people out. But that's, he makes it pretty clear. And then in 1 Peter 2, 2, 9, it talks about the priesthood of the believers. So the priesthood of the believers, you're a minister. You, you are to be a priest in your place of work. A priest was someone that went, went to the people for God and went to God for the people. So you're this kind of bridge builder, so to speak. God's called you to do that. Uh, where He's placed you in your work, in your neighborhood, in your family. It's, it's all important. Next one, number five. My work is a witness to the world and worship to God. Um, you are serving the Lord Christ. Verse 24 makes that really clear. J.C. Ryle said, A Christian is a walking sermon. They preach far more than a minister does for they preach all week long. Robert Murray McShane put it this way, the Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. Martin Luther was once asked, uh, how can I be a Christian shoemaker? And he responded by saying, by making excellent shoes for an excellent price. Good wise counsel. Number six, three keys to fruitful and fulfilling work. If you're wanting to find that work that would be fruitful and fulfilling, you want to look in, look out, and look up. First of all, look into your gifting. Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So beforehand, so God has... Amazingly shaped you, and we, we walk people through this process through our Game of Life class, spiritual gift, heart, ability, personality, life experiences. He takes your shape, and he wants to use that uh, somewhere on this planet for his, for his glory. Mark Twain put it this way, find what you enjoy doing, and you'll never work another day of your life. That's not 100% true because there's things that we enjoy doing. We can't make a living at it, but but you know what I'm saying. You still have to get back to how am I shaped? How has God shaped me? So you look into your gifting. You look out to what people need. Titus 3.14 says, Do good by meeting the urgent needs of others, then you will not be unproductive. So what you're wanting to do, you ask yourself these questions. Are you doing something that contributes to people's lives and society. So let's, let's define work. So work can be defined as taking raw material and rearranging it for the purpose of human flourishing in every dimension. It can be physical, emotional, spiritual. So just as we see in Genesis 1 where God takes uh, takes nothing and makes something, uh, we're to take something and, and, the, and sometimes the chaos of living in a fallen world and to bring order out of the chaos that's around us, and we do that in a lot of different ways. Uh, you'll notice there in Genesis 1, too, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was hovering over and it almost seems like this world is a bit chaotic and then you see God, through the work of His Holy Spirit, bring a sense of order. And So when you look at work and what He's called us to do is to bring order out of chaos. For instance, a counselor does what? A counselor takes someone's life that's not running right, not working right, maybe in their marriage or their finances or, or their personal life, just dealing with guilt and shame and things, and helps to bring some, some order out of that chaos and, and direction and, and vision and purpose. A construction worker, what do they do? They take the raw material of, of you know, metal and wood and they build homes and bridges. And so they're taking this chaos, it seems, and, and bringing order to that so that we can live our lives. What about a musician? What do they do? They take chords and notes and turn them into beautiful songs. What about a stay-at-home mom? stay-at-home mom takes little midget demons and turns them into responsible adults who love Jesus more than anything. Okay. And stay-at-home moms, I think they probably have, I I think they have the, the hardest job out of all of us and stay-at-home wives, that's a, it's a hard job. I mean, that's, a, that's work. My, my wife, uh, there, there were years that she homeschooled and then got to chase after me and take care of the things that, uh, that I throw her way. And so there's, there's, a, there's work in that, that's part of that. You're bringing, you know, when we come in here on a Sunday morning, it's a bit chaotic. This is a high school. And so there's dirt on the floor, there's papers and all kinds of stuff. And, so we come in and we, we take the chaos and clean it up and bring some order, and we set up a sound system and so that we can have service so 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 think when you what you do oftentimes we, we do what we do because we get paid well i 'm making a you know i 'm getting paid for it, or it 's our identity we kind of misplace our identity in it but it 's much more than that you want to begin to work for the sake of the thing that you do. Think about what you do you 're actually working and helping. Uh, really kind of a reenactment of what God has done and He's called us to do is to bring order out of chaos in people's lives and, and, and um, enjoy that aspect but do it for God's glory. So look in, look out to what people need and then look up to the one who has called you. So in our text, you get the idea that He says you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost like, hey, God is watching you God is watching you. you're living you're doing this for an audience of one now this is not like some misguided parent saying to their six-year-old God is watching you and when you don't share your toys it makes baby Jesus cry uh, that's not what we're talking about here this is not appeasement this is pleasing God see here's the difference you hear us talk about it a lot so appeasement is I better, I better walk in, you know, I better do what I'm supposed to do or God won't bless me. That's simply not true. That's, that's a form of paganism. You've got to appease the gods so that we'll get their blessing. Wait, 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 wait. You don't understand. In Jesus Christ, you are unbelievably blessed. So you don't obey him to get his blessing. You have his blessing, therefore you obey him. I mean, you just, you're just soaking in the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and so then therefore you just want to put him on display in your life and in your work so pretty amazing so there's a major difference between the two so so keep that in mind and uh and so there should be this sense of 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 a mission that you're bringing love where there's hatred you're bringing joy where there's maybe uh, hopelessness. You're bringing peace where there's chaos in the people's lives, On, you know, where you work. You can do that. You have the Holy Spirit within you. I mean, you can be a peacemaker on the job or in your home or in your neighborhood because you have the Holy Spirit within you and, and the blessing of all of heaven. And uh, you'll notice that we've put some... Uh, you notice the papers that are up on the back? Some of you are going to have to look back, but you see the big it's butcher paper up on the side, and first service kind of filled it up with a bunch of names, and what we've asked you to do is, is to have a sense of mission as it relates to where you work, where you live, in your own uh, home. And so first of all, be aware. The words across the top, it says aware. Be aware that God has placed you by divine design in your place of work or home or, or neighborhood or wherever you might be. Uh, and begin with prayer begin to pray for the people that god has placed you around those that don't know the lord those that you you man your heart goes out to maybe you haven't given it much thought but but those people desperately need to come to jesus you have been placed there to bring the gospel message to them so so be aware begin with prayer then look for an opportunity to show them that you care and then be ready to share. It could be as simple as just inviting them to our next big, our next big party we're going to have. Hey, why don't you come out Sunday morning? Check this place out. They're going to baptize a few folks. We're going to get some hamburgers. And, but as you cultivate this relationship, this relationship will give this credibility to be able to handle the things that you share with them. My wife and I, we ride in the neighborhood our tandem bike, and we, we're, we're getting to know a lot of folks, but there's this one guy that will flag us down, we'll sit and talk to him for a little bit, the guy's name is Bill and his wife is, is Louise, and Louise has Alzheimer's and so our heart goes out and we tell him we're gonna pray for her, and, and we want so much for him and her to come to faith in Jesus. We're getting ready to give him a Bible, but we, we talk with him regularly, we have a relationship, we've built a bridge of credibility through that. He knows that I'm a pastor, and he's very, you know, he's, he uses some language, and I, you know, I'm not trying to clean them up or anything. Say, oh, I'm sorry. Well, you know, that's, that's how you talk, okay? So, and so we just kind of carry on conversation. We have a relationship. And in that context, we're able to share Jesus with them. And there's a number of other, you know, situations, circumstances in our lives where as we get out into the marketplace, we go to the same place to drink Starbucks or, or whatever, wherever we might go. We're cultivating these relationships so that we can share our faith with them. That's all we're asking you to do. So in a few moments... We're going to wrap up our message. We're going to give you a couple more points here. and We're going to take communion this morning. But after we take communion, I want you to go over to the, the butcher paper that's up on the wall and just write some names of people that, that God maybe has put on your heart while we're talking here. While you're sitting and thinking about within your circle of touch, the people that, that you want us to join together with you and begin to pray for them. And, uh, and so that we can begin to see some wonderful things take place in their life as God uses you. And as we do this together, as a team, and so show them what a friend they have in you so that eventually you can tell them what a friend they have in Jesus. That's all we're asking you to do. It just could be as simple as giving someone a Bible. Did you know that most people don't even have a modern uh, translation of a Bible in their homes? And if they do, it's typically some, you know, King James Version or something that's really outdated and they don't really understand. Or it could just be a a brochure that we, we pass out a number of brochures and have things. It could be any number of things. Just listening in to what God is doing in their life so that you can participate in that. Okay, two more points. The quality of our work is inescapably connected to the quality of our rest. How many would agree that if you're going to work, if your performance is going to be up to par, you really have to get a good night of sleep, you need some exercise, and you need a good diet? Show of hands? Yeah, absolutely. That's all part of it. But let me ask you this. How many have ever gone on vacation or even gotten a good night of sleep, you've gotten a good night of rest, And you still were totally exhausted. You came back from vacation exhausted, more exhausted than when you went. Show of hands, okay. How many of you have ever gotten up after, you know, 20 hours of sleep? I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you've gotten plenty of sleep, but you're just exhausted still. Why is that? Because there's something much deeper than just taking care of your bodies physically. There's a soul rest that if we don't get, it doesn't matter how much sleep we get, it doesn't matter about all the vacations we go on. Unless we have this soul rest, it's not enough. And that's why the quality of our our work is inescapably connected to the quality of our rest. But as as Augustine put it, our hearts are forever restless until we find our rest in God. And that takes us to the last point. It takes a deep rest of Christ's finished work for your salvation to avoid overwork. And then add to the notes there, and underwork. I should have put that on there, but I didn't. So overwork and underwork. Underwork. We underwork, and what I mean by that is we just become cynical about work. Nah, forget it. They don't pay me enough to do that. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not working for them, you're working for the Lord. But we become cynical because we don't understand and because we're just exhausted, because we're not getting that soul rest that would recharge us so that when we go out into work, when we go out into the world, we're not operating out of deficit, we're operating, operating out of abundance. And so. So you are not what you do. This is what you need to understand. You are not what you do. You are not what has been done to you, but you are what Christ has done for you. In Christ, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You guys remember the movie Rocky? Rocky 1, the title character's girlfriend asked him, why is it so important for you to, quote, go the distance in the boxing match? And he responded by saying, then I'll know I'm not a bum. Why was Rocky doing what he was doing? His identity was wrapped up in it. See, he was boxing to get an identity rather than to have an identity and then box. We do, that's how we live our lives. But when you understand your identity is in Jesus, and you keep coming back to that and you just keep your tank Filled up with who he is and what he what he says about you. And we're going to take some time to do that this morning through communion. Communion is a beautiful opportunity just to refuel our tank spiritually. To understand, oh my goodness, you did this for me. You love me. I'm accepted by you. And then you just fill up your tank, and then you're ready to take on the world. And so that's that's what we need to keep in mind. You don't work for an identity, but out of your identity in Christ. You work let me conclude with this uh, story and then we're going to pray and take communion and then we're going to give you opportunity to sign to sign on those uh, the paper there on the walls this is uh, actually a story from Philip Yancey um, from his book reaching for the invisible God this is what he says I have visited Calcutta India a place of poverty death and unbelievable human problems And there the nuns, trained by Mother Teresa, serve the poorest, most miserable people on the planet, half-dead bodies picked up from the streets of Calcutta. The world stands in awe at the sisters' dedication and the results of their ministry. But something about these nuns impresses me even more, their serenity. If I tackled such a daunting project, I would likely be scurrying about, faxing, press releases to donors, begging for more resources, gulping tranquilizers, grasping at ways to cope with my mounting desperation. Not these nuns. Their serenity traces back to what takes place before their day's work begins. At 4 o'clock in the morning, long before the sun, the sisters rise, awakened by a bell, and the call, Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God, they reply, dressed in spotless white saris. They file into the chapel where they sit on the floor, Indian style, and pray and sing together. On the wall of the plain plain chapel hangs a crucifix with the words, I thirst. Before meeting their first client, they immerse themselves in worship and in the love of God. I sense no panic in the sisters who run the home for the dying and the destitute in Calcutta. I see concern and compassion, yes, but no obsession over what did not get done. In fact, early on in their work, Mother Teresa instituted a rule that her sisters take Thursdays off for prayer and rest. The work will always be here, but if we do not rest and pray, we will not have the presence to do our work, she explained. These sisters are not working to complete a caseload, a a caseload sheet for a social service agency. They are working for God, They begin their day with Him. They end their day with Him. Back in the chapel for night prayers, in everything in between, they present as an offering to God. God alone determines their worth and measures their success. And so this morning as we take communion, this is what the Lord would say to us. Come unto me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so as they pass out the communion elements just grab it hang on to it I'm gonna walk us through the process this morning if you're not a believer you can let it pass by if you want to become a believer this morning acknowledge your sin that separates you from God believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and then Turn the steering wheel of your life over to Him. You can make that commitment even while you're taking communion this morning. We would invite you to do that. God bless you. It's pretty amazing that uh, you hold in your hands these elements that the bread represents His broken body for you, the God of the galaxies that loves you. And the grape juice represents His shed blood for you. Here's the amazing truth. You can't be more accepted by God than what you are at this very moment. Not because of anything that you do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. You are accepted. You are accepted by the God of the galaxies. You are accepted by the one who created you. You are accepted by him. Do you understand the implications of that? That's amazing. It's mind-blowing. To the degree you understand that, it's to the degree, boy, it's just revolutionary to your heart and mind and your life. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that translate into? The peace of God. Peace with God translates into the peace of God. If I'm stressing out over life, it's because I don't realize, I have peace with God. He accepts me. And in fact, if you could only understand how accepted you are by God through Christ, no amount of success or failure or praise or criticism could ever outdo it. So just kind of think about that just for a minute. I'm accepted by God through what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. Doesn't matter what you've done this last week or what you will do this next week the more you begin to understand that that's what begins to transform our hearts our lives Paul wrote the 11th chapter of 1st Corinthians for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. The more you understand the gospel, the more you realize it is this amazing dream come true, the kind of life most would give anything for. And so it so transforms our lives, it makes us want to tell the world about Jesus. We're going to sing uh, this next song. It'll give you opportunity to find your way over to the aisles to to your right and left and to, uh, to write some names, the names that God has put on your heart that you'd like for us to join with you in praying. We're going to do this over the next couple of weeks. We'll try to bring those back. Those will look pretty filled up and they'll probably be more filled up once you put your names up on there, but feel free to do that. Let me remind you of what uh, Darren shared last week. It was a quote from a pastor from South Africa. He said, people are going to hell, and if you really believe this, you have to take risks and be willing to fail. That's what we're saying. Be aware. Begin with prayer. Begin to show them that you care, and then look for opportunity to share. Would you stand with us as we sing these songs? God, thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for your word that brings conviction, it brings change, but it brings this uh, compelling sense in our hearts that that we want to show you to this world more contagiously. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name.